Pantry Studio Production. The following may contain strong language and deals with adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Did you know that we have a Facebook and an Instagram page? And they're cool. And we keep you up to speed on a lot of cool stuff on there. But if you want the real deal, go to Patreon. Become a Mountain Mystery Patreon family member. And remember, when you look for it, it's The Mountain Mysteries. Also, get on board with the official Discord server of The Mountain Mysteries. This is a great place to talk about the episodes and get direct interaction with some of our team that makes The Mountain Mysteries. And they deliver them right to your device. Please remember to subscribe and rate The Mountain Mysteries at five stars. Write a great review. And it doesn't have to be anything long, not at all. As a matter of fact, if it's just a few words, that's perfectly fine. It's not a problem. We really appreciate your support. You know, my dad was a no-nonsense hard-ass. I take a lot of that after him. But it was apparent to me at an early age that he certainly did have an open mind. You see, he had paranormal encounters off and on throughout his life, and he almost never talked about that to anyone. Like many of us, he had his own demons that he fought. And a lot of the times, he won those battles. I remember once I was 13 or 14, and he and I were sitting outside of the first home my parents were able to buy. It was in a rural country setting, a small place called Sitka. The night air was warm, the skies were clear, and the summer breeze kind of swept away any cares that I might have had, and at that age I really didn't have many at all. But I distinctly remember looking up at those stars sitting next to him. The sky was like a black velvet blanket. And it was there just so we could see all of those stars shining their light down on us. You know, for a moment, I had thought that it was just for us. I remember looking at Dad and asking if he thought there were such things as aliens. I was waiting for some kind of a wisecrack response, but he looked up and back at me and he said, Well, if there's not, sure does seem like a waste of a whole lot of space. He also said that it was a bit arrogant, he felt, for man to think that we were the only ones in the entire universe that had any semblance of intelligence whatsoever. On this episode of The Mountain Mysteries, we look into a controversial case that shook a small eastern Kentucky town. At least, those who knew about it and left them wondering what they had just experienced. These are The Mountain Mysteries, and this is Episode 5, Impact. The Mountain Mystery of the Paintsville UFO and CSX Train Incident. I will be the last to fall. I won't shed a tear for them to see.
There are over 1.9 billion square acres in the United States alone, and 24% of those are mountainous. The secrets that these regions hold are enormous. Reports of mysterious creatures, strange sightings and sounds, ghosts and murders, and those who have seemingly vanished. There are questions that need asking and answers worth finding. These are the Mountain Mysteries. Here's Chris Long. Most people fall into one of three categories, I guess. The well, that's bullcrap ones. I mean, even if something landed on the White House lawn, they wouldn't buy it. The anything is possible ones, they are normally the same people that can't make up their mind one way or the other. And then there's the I believe ones. Now, just so I'm clear, I'm not here to influence you in any way, even if I could. I respect whatever your opinion is, but whatever it is, you have to admit, with all of these sightings and all of these people coming forth, some as reputable as presidents, okay, so maybe that's not the best example, but my point is that a lot of people that have come forward and made these reports have a lot to lose, especially when other people start dropping words like insane in their sentences. The ones that make me take notice are the hard-working everyday people that are just trying to get done what they need to get done so they can get home, get something to eat, shower, and relax so they can run in the same rat race the next time they're told to go to the starting line. These people rarely want attention like that drawn to them, but to quote the great Mick Jagger, you can't always get what you want. Our story begins in the early morning hours of January 14, 2002, just outside of Paintsville, Kentucky. Yes, that Paintsville, the same place that Episode 1 of the Mountain Mysteries took place in. Only this wasn't at the lake. Oh no, it was on the railroad tracks. Coal has always been a vital part of the region's economy. In addition to keeping costs on electricity lower than that of the national average, it was a way that many in the hills of a place that I call home kept food on their table and a roof over their head. It had been and is an honorable way to make a living, albeit a dangerous one for people to earn their money, and they sure as hell earned every dime. There were few ways to get said product to where it needed to go. One was trucks the size of a tractor trailer with modified beds and driven by people that could seemingly park a 40-foot trailer in a 30-foot space and still have room for a table and two small chairs. Maybe the most popular way, or at least one that was viable, was by rail. This particular train was coming from Russell, Kentucky on its way to Shelbyanna, a small community in Pike County. Coal had been carried by freight cars up and down the Ohio and Big Sandy Rivers since I could recall and long before, I'm sure. These engineers on those trains knew that they carried a lifeline to people who not only lived in Kentucky, 
but all those surrounding states as well. A responsibility they took very seriously. But even the best laid plans can go south like the wind. That was a cold morning, as most are during the winter months in the city between the lakes, when at 2.47 a.m. exactly, the train approached milepost 42. They called that spot the Wild Kingdom because of all the animals that had been seen there. Then suddenly, lights were seen by the conductor and some of the crew coming from the other direction. Now, according to the crew, that usually means another train is coming on the opposing set of tracks, so they turned off their lights as not to blind the other train's crew. That's the report. As they rounded the bend, the crew reported that their train's onboard computer began to flash on and off. The speed recorder went haywire and the train just died. Alarms were sounding and hell was breaking loose and that is when they saw it. They said it was a minimum of three objects that were a metallic silver in color with several searchlights focused on the river below, apparently looking for something. The lights were several colors and the crafts hovered around 10 to 12 feet above the tracks. Witnesses said that there were no windows or openings that they could see at all. They described the objects as 18 to 20 feet in length and around 10 feet high. At this point, both engines on the train were dead as they rounded a corner. They were making some noise because the train's emergency brakes had kicked in and were moving around 30 miles per hour with about 16,000 trailing tons of coal right behind them. It was stated that the first object did not move out of the way in time and whatever it was, clipped the top of the lead unit of the train, then skipped back and took a chunk of the trailing unit and the first two coal cars. It was at this point that the other two objects simply vanished. According to the crew, the train finally came to a stop around a mile and a half or two miles after the collision and the power just came back on. They then notified their dispatcher who was in Jacksonville, Florida as to what had happened. Well, the dispatcher thought that this was a joke at first. When it was realized that there was no jokes being made, the dispatcher had the crew check the cars and see if the train could hold the rail and make it to the rail yard in Paintsville. Upon looking at the condition of the train, the crew said it looked as if the cab in the rear of the train had been destroyed and was smoking. The second two cars appeared as though they'd been struck by a huge hammer but appeared to be able to hold the rails. Many people are leery of a few things here. One being turning the lights off completely as to not to blind the other crew. And then there was the distance. They said it took them a mile and a half to two miles to stop while emergency braking was in progress. And they were only traveling at about 30 miles per hour. Some say that's far-fetched, even with 16,000 tons behind them. Anyway, the train limped into the Paintsville rail yard that morning around a quarter past five. There were huge overhead lights that were distinctly darkened, and the only light came from what the crew had thought were officials with a railroad company. No, oh, but they had guessed wrong there. 
as they pulled in to a stop and started to unload the grips off the damaged train. They heard what sounded like a legion of workers minding the train. There were car doors slamming and people rushing by in strange outfits and light glaring from all directions. There was something missing, though. The railroad officials. When we come back, a meeting between a crew member and a mysterious man. Our audiobook promotion for this episode, well, it's deadly. Night after night, beautiful young women are murdered in the city of Memphis. The police have no clues, and it all comes down to Detective Renee Juilliard, a tough, gritty woman not very well liked among her colleagues. But it's up to Detective Juilliard to save the city from the fear that continues to build like an enraged hurricane. Tim Sill, a happily married newspaper editor, is having trouble sleeping. Morning after morning, however, he awakes with his clothing damaged and sometimes blood on his hands. As he begins his own private investigation, he learns things he wishes he hadn't. Because when Tim Seal closes his eyes, evil awakens. Here is an excerpt from Sleepwalker. Her vision was fuzzy, and she blinked several times hoping to clear it. She did. The sight before her made no more sense than it did when she saw it through muddled eyes. Bare bulbs had been strung along two walls of a, of a tractor trailer. She supposed, a long one by the looks of it, one dim bulb every two feet lighting nothing except for a small radius around each one. Her hands were palmed down, and she felt something odd. She did not feel the cold wood of the trailer floor, but something else, crinkly and stiff in the cool temperature. Plastic. A drop cloth similar to the ones painters used. Someone thought things were bound to get messy. That thought sickened Regina. She scrambled around trying to pull herself to her feet. The figure emerged from the rear of the trailer. The sight of it made Regina's breath catch in her throat. At six feet tall, the figure was wide-shouldered and powerfully built. Dark slacks, a black trench coat over a ribbed black shirt covered the body. That was an excerpt from Sleepwalker, written by Keith Latch, available on Audible and where audiobooks are sold. I hope you'll get a copy. It's pretty graphic, but if you're a fan of horror and mystery and love surprise twists, you'll enjoy it. Now, back to the Mountain Mysteries. It was January 14th, 2002. A CSX crew claims they struck an unidentified flying object as they made their way from Russell to Shelbyana, Kentucky. The cab at the rear of the train was all but destroyed and damage was reported on other parts of the vehicle as well. It was 5.15 in the morning when the train limped into the rail yard in Paintsville. As staff began working to unload the grips, they were approached by a man named Ferguson. 
This man shook the hand of one of the employees who had been on the train and asked him and the others to follow. Well, they did. And upon entering the old rail office, they said that they were asked hundreds of questions and stated that for their own protection, they'd have to undergo medical testing before they would be allowed to leave. The crew member stated that he asked multiple times to speak with the rail foreman or train master, but all of his requests were denied. Furthermore, the conductor's cell phone was confiscated by the mysterious men. They eventually left the old yard office, and strange things continued to happen. The two locomotives and damaged cars were removed from the remainder of the train and the crew brought in. They were taken off the property and told that this was a matter of national security and that their silence would be appreciated. They were driven to Martin, Kentucky in neighboring Floyd County and went through more questioning, drug tests, and sent on to Shelbyana where they rested for eight hours before operating another train back to Russell. They passed Paintsville on the way back and there was not a single sign of any of the engines, cars, tents, or people that had been there only hours before. It was spotless. Now this is worth talking about. It was a report from 2010 of a UFO sighting just before midnight on the evening of January 13, 2002 in Paintsville. That was just hours before the train incident in the early hours of the next morning. According to this report, an anonymous witness, who was a Paintsville firefighter and paramedic, was driving home following their shift. They began the report by stating that they didn't know if the train and UFO incident was a hoax or the real thing, but they do know that something strange was happening in the area that night. Now, according to this anonymous witness, as he was driving along, he saw a big light zigzagging across the road in front of him. It would then travel up over the top of them, nearly at the height of the trees and on the side of the road. Now, that's about 250 feet in the air. Now, as they were watching this going on, two more lights came out of nowhere, one on either side of the car. And even though it was a little higher than the first, they moved extremely fast, moving out of the west and to the east and towards the town of Paintsville. And as if that's not enough, he said that his car started to act weird. They said in the report that the vehicle didn't quite quit, but it acted very strangely. The lights would flash constantly on and off, and then the gauges went crazy. The witness claimed they would make a report to the police, but unfortunately, they wanted to remain completely anonymous and would not even provide contact details to organizations such as Newfork, which is a UFO research and reporting center. If the report is real, then it's almost certainly sharing a connection with the train incident several hours early, but you gotta take a look at this. It's very minimal, and it almost feels like it's a hoax report. Now, belief appears to be divided on the truthfulness of this case. Now, some people who claim to be local and know about the railways of Kentucky, specifically this area in general, say that the first time that they heard about this incident was back in 2006 when the report was made. Now, it's their belief that they would have known if anything strange had taken place. Now, the other side of this coin 
is that others who have extensive knowledge of railways and the lingo that is used claim that the language in the report is authentic. So they're saying that the report is basically using the same language as people would use on the job. It's not just the terminology. But they say that the knowledge of the routes and the procedures seems to be legitimate. And if we accept the report of the mysterious men who interviewed them at the train station that night, then no news would have leaked out about the incident. Makes me wonder if it's one of those cases that still has its secrets that it's holding on to. One of them, for example, is who the witness was and who they may be in reality and whether or not they'll ever come forward where their name remains to be seen. It's quite possible they decided to take Ferguson's advice. Then again, maybe the whole account is nothing more than just a fake. Whatever this case is, hoax or real, it certainly fits the bill for a mountain mystery. Remember to please give us a five-star rating and share the mountain mysteries with friends. Remember, sharing is caring. It means so much to us. On the next episode of The Mountain Mysteries, 1939, the flood that claimed dozens of lives in Breathitt and Rowan County, Kentucky. Are there spirits that still walk about due to the loss of life? Until next time, stay mysterious. If you enjoy The Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support the Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more. Studio Production.